Today we are in week three of our foundations series, so we said that we're going to take a month or so to talk about some of the key habits and some of the key practices that help us to grow in our relationship with God. And so if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, you can catch up if you're interested. Uh, Our website, our Facebook page have links to our messages and also our podcast, so if you want to catch up, you can feel free to do that. We have been using the metaphor of gardening as we've talked about this series, recognising that us growing in our relationship with God and putting into practice the stuff we're talking about in this series is not this obligatory thing that we have to do or else there's these negative consequences, but recognising that if you want to grow a healthy garden, then there's some stuff that you can do. You can plant things in healthy soil, you can give the plants the nutrients that they need to be able to thrive and grow, and then they'll do what nature does, and they'll grow into the plants that they're supposed to and produce the fruit and veggies that they're supposed to. And our relationship with God is the same. God wants us to be able to grow into the people that he made us to be, but we have the opportunity to plant ourselves in healthy soil, be a part of a healthy church community, um, but also to take in nutrients that help us to be able to grow the way that God wants us to. And so that's really what this series is about. What are some of the nutrients that we can take in that help us to be able to grow? And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what the Bible is. And we did a big walkthrough of this amazing book called the Bible, recognising that it's 66 books that are all different types of literature and uh, following on from Ross's kids talk. I thought about wrapping this part of the message, but uh, you know, nobody wants to see that, so we'll just do it normally. Um, 66 books that are all telling one big story, one big meta-narrative, which is a big story that contains meaning that helps us to discover purpose. And so we need to understand what that meta-narrative is as it points to Jesus as we enter into what it looks like for us to read the Bible. So we did a big walkthrough of what it is and how it's all come together. But today we want to focus on how to read the Bible. Some simple tips on what it looks like to actually get into these scriptures that we've got. So the first question that I want us to wrestle with before we do that is why should we? Why should we read the Bible in the first place? We've got this book, but for some of us, we feel like we should read the Bible because that's what we were told that we were supposed to do. Particularly if we grew up in some streams of the church, there is a high sense of obligation attached to that. Well, you better read the Bible because that's what you'd better do, or else, again, there'll be these negative consequences attached to it. For some of us, we feel like we want to read the Bible because we want to learn some stuff, particularly if we're new in our journey uh, exploring spirituality or exploring Jesus, then we want to read the Bible so that we can learn and discover and understand more about what this is all about. For some of us, we've been doing it for so long now that we can't imagine not reading the Bible. We can't imagine not starting our day, opening up scripture and spending some time reading that and processing what's in there, which is a really, really good place for us to be. But today's passage really helps us to work through this question, why should we read the Bible at the end of the day? We're going to talk more about the importance of context when we read scripture in a moment, but just to give a bit of background for these verses that we're looking at, this comes from the book of James, which is one of the letters that's in the New Testament, uh, one of the letters that was written to people in the early church, and it's written by this guy whose name is James, and James is actually the brother of Jesus, which might surprise some of us to recognise Jesus actually had brothers and sisters. When Mary and Joseph had Jesus, got married, they then had some other kids. And so Jesus grew up in a family where he had brothers and sisters and James is one of them who we hear a little bit about through scripture. And as you can imagine, if you grew up with Jesus as your brother, 
it probably would have been a little bit of a difficult shift to move from this guy Jesus that I grew up with and maybe we had play fights with or argued over food or who knows what, typical family stuff, turning into this guy Jesus who is supposedly the Jesus that we understand. And so we know that James had to do some pretty significant shifting but eventually gets to this place where he trusts in Jesus as the one who shows us what God is like and the one ultimately who welcomes us into God's family. And so James writes this letter to what he calls the 12 tribes, which is our understanding of basically saying writing to everyone. 12 tribes meaning the 12 tribes of Israel, but James is writing to pretty much anyone who's willing to read his letter. And so that's the context in which we're reading. Now, James, if you read his book or his letter, is a very full-on guy. He's one of these pull-no-punches guys who just says it exactly like it is. And so he can be a bit challenging to read at times, but he's got some really great advice. So he says in James 1, verse 22, Don't deceive yourselves by just listening to the word. Instead, put it into practice. Now, this is a good reminder that for the early church, when James and others were writing to the church, they didn't have their own Bibles to be able to read Scripture. What would happen is that they would receive a letter and someone would do what we're doing now. Someone would stand up in front of everyone who was gathered and read it out. So James says, don't deceive yourselves by just listening to the Word, but we would apply that and say we've got our own Bibles, so don't deceive yourselves by just reading the Word. Instead, put it into practice. And a helpful metaphor for this is to recognise that if we just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and don't do any exercise, that's really, really unhealthy for us. It has some pretty significant long-term consequences. And the longer we do that, the harder it becomes to be motivated to actually start doing the exercise that we need to do. And when we're talking about just taking in Scripture and reading it and not putting it into practice, we're thinking about the same thing, just eating, consuming scripture, reading, 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 and not putting it into practice, not exercising it, which has a long-term impact on us. And eventually, it becomes harder and harder for us to actually put things into practice because we've just got into this habit of reading for the sake of reading. And so that's what James is challenging here. And so he unpacks that with another metaphor. In verse 23, he says, "'If you listen to the word, but don't put it into practice, "'you're like people who look in a mirror and see themselves as they are. They take a good look at themselves and then go away and at once forget what they look like. And so James is giving us this imagery of those times when, you know how it is, you're just kind of standing in the bathroom, looking into the mirror, and all of a sudden you just take a bit longer glance and you recognise, I really need a shave, or I really need a haircut, or I should really do something about those pimples, or where did those wrinkles come from? And sometimes we stare even deeper into the mirror, into our own eyes, and we realise there's some stuff that really needs to change about what I'm focused on, the things that I'm doing, who I am. So those moments of deep contemplation where we stare into the mirror and get a really significant picture of who we are. I think of that Michael Jackson song, Man in the Mirror, where he says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to make a change. Those moments where we're just like, yes, I know something needs to be different. James says that's what it's like if we read, listen to the word, but if we don't put it into practice, it's like them walking away from the mirror and then not doing any of that and completely forgetting what we even saw when we were looking there. 
And so James then says in verse 25, if you look closely into the perfect law that sets people free and keep on paying attention to it and don't simply listen to it and then forget it, but put it into practice, can you see a theme developing here? You will be blessed by God in what you do. And so James says when we approach scripture, we should look deeply into it, look closely at it. And the imagery that he's using there is actually the idea of kind of like stooping down and picking something up and gazing at it and really contemplating it, thinking about it deeply. And the image for me that comes to mind is Ali and I go for a walk on the beach uh, almost every Friday, except when the weather is unpleasant. And every now and again, you'll be walking along the beach and you'll see an amazing shell. And you'll stoop down and you pick it up and just look at it and be like, that's amazing. It's really, really incredible. And so you'll take some time and really contemplate it. That's what James is saying that we should do when we look at scripture. We should really stare deeply into it, contemplate it. But what's he say that we're staring into? The perfect law that sets us free. And the word perfect in scripture often means complete or finished or finalized or the ultimate version of what it's supposed to be. So James is saying when we read scripture, we have the opportunity to understand this completed law where God has done everything necessary to set us free. And when we look into that, contemplate that, and then walk away and practice what it tells us to do, then we will be blessed. Then we will be happy. Then we'll be content. We'll be experiencing life the way that it's supposed to be. And so that's a really important reminder as we talk about the idea of reading the Bible on a regular basis is to say it's not supposed to be about obligation. It's not supposed to be about have to, but it's about the opportunity for us to stare into, to contemplate, who God is, what God has done, and to be able to understand, therefore, who we are and what it looks like for us to live as a part of his family. So let's get into some practical tips then about how to read the Bible. Now, I don't want to make any assumptions today about where people are coming from. We know we've got some people who are fairly new to this whole Jesus thing. So I want to start at the very beginning. When you are looking for a book of the Bible, it can be a little bit overwhelming because, as we said earlier, there's 66 books. And so there's a really helpful resource at the start of the Bible. It's called a table of contents. And so whenever you're looking for a book of the Bible, that's the place to start. Open that up and then scan through. Now, some of us grew up where we were encouraged strongly as kids to learn all of the books of the Bible and the order of those books of the Bible, which is a really great thing to do, partly because it helps us to understand the flow of Scripture and where a book fits into this whole biblical narrative. But at the end of the day, we do have these tables of contents and it's totally fine to use them. So when we're looking for a book, that's where we start. In each book then, we have these big numbers and these little numbers. So the big numbers are chapter numbers and the little numbers are verse numbers. And in when the Bible was originally written, each of the different books that were there, those didn't actually exist. So as I said, a lot of the Bible were letters or narratives that were written out. And those were just written out on big parchments or big scrolls. And so they would just be read out as one big letter when they were read out. And there weren't chapters and verses in them. They're things that we've added later to make it easier for us to be able to find things. So that when we're talking about James chapter 1 verse 22, we can find specifically where in James's letter we want to focus. So that's where we start. 
But as we get into scripture, we want to recognise the importance of context. And I've mentioned this over the last couple of weeks as something that we really, really need to understand um, because all of us come to scripture with a whole bunch of baggage, even if we're not aware of it at all. So even if we've never opened a Bible before, all of us come with cultural expectations and things that we've just learned, given the families that we've grown up in, given the experiences that we've had in our lives, uh, given the things that we've heard about God and about Jesus and about the church, all of those things we unconsciously project or subconsciously project onto whatever it is that we're reading. So it's really important when we start reading scripture to make sure that we take some time to understand context, to understand what was going on um, originally when each book was written. And the good thing is that for us as a part of the Churches of Christ movement, this has been a part of our DNA since the very beginning. We are a group of people who firmly believe that everyone should have access to Scripture, that each one of us should be able to read Scripture and then be able to understand more about God and put that into practice. It's not up to some holy people up the top of the chain to tell us what Scripture says. It's about each one of us doing that work ourselves. But to help us with that, one of our founders, Alexander Campbell, did some great work in giving us a set of questions to be able to process through whenever we start looking at Scripture. And Gordon Sterling, who is an absolute giant of the Churches of Christ in Australia, is a guy who then took those questions and kind of reinterpreted them for a more modern era about 20 years ago or so. And so on the back of your teaching notes that were inside of Caring Connection, you've got a set of questions that he wrote, which are really, really useful to be able to explore what the context is of any book of the Bible that we're reading. So he says these are the sorts of things that we should wrestle with. Who wrote this book or said it and why? So who was the person who wrote this? So today we're talking about James. So James wrote it, but why did he write it? What was the purpose behind that? To whom was it written? Was it written to a specific group of people? Was it a general thing like James's letter was? What did the readers understand by it? What were they interpreting as they started to hear what was being written down? What was the purpose in it being written? Was it to address some specific things? Was it to outline some historical stuff that had happened? Was it just some psalms, some poetry that was being written? What was the purpose behind it? In what period was it written? And this again is why it's important to understand the flow of the whole biblical narrative to be able to say, where does this fit into the scheme of things? In particular, was this before Jesus? Was this while Jesus was around or was this after Jesus, looking back on his life, death and resurrection? But what period was it from? What were the circumstances and the setting of the writing? So what was going on? And not just for the people who were receiving it, but in culture at that time. What was happening? What were the other circumstances? What's the context or the surrounding passages of the particular passage being studied? And what light do these surrounding passages throw on it? This one's really, really important because the church has a very long history of taking one verse out of the context that it was in and applying it into context that it was never intended for. And that's really, really dangerous. So anytime that we're reading scripture, we want to say what was happening just before this and what happened just after it. So as an example, some of the things that Jesus said were in very direct response to events that had just happened or to a question that had been asked. And so we need to make sure that we're understanding the context in which verses are written. Is the language literal or figurative? 
And for some of us who've grown up in different streams of the church, this can be a really challenging question because our understanding that we've been told is all of the Bible is literal. All of it is 100% true, even the parts that contradict each other. And there are some parts of the Bible that contradict each other, which is why context is so important. So is the language literal? Does it mean what it actually says? Or is it figurative? Is it just supposed to help us to understand some other stuff? And then is it history, parable, or allegory? So is it history, stuff that actually happened? Or is it parable or allegory, stuff that is kind of word pictures or stories that contain deeper meanings for us to work through? So those are a great set of questions for us whenever we start any book of the Bible to just work through those things and to be able to say, what's really going on here and how do I make sure I'm getting the most out of this as I start reading? Some examples of why this is important. So I've already mentioned about Jesus' words. We need to be very, very careful that what we take from what Jesus is saying is very different in different contexts. So what he says to his disciples, his followers, the people that he was investing in, is often very different to what he says to the Jewish leaders, which is often very different to what he says to people who were looking for healing, for example. And so we need to step back and say, who's Jesus talking to in this context? The letters we've talked a lot about. So James writes his letter. Last week we talked about Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And so there were some very specific things that were going on in Corinth. And so the things that we read there, we need to understand the context of what was going on for that church. Is it poetry? Because if it is, that's a very different thing for us to absorb than a letter or than a narrative. Prophecies are really, really important to wrestle with this question about literal or figurative because some of the prophecies are prophecies about things that were actually going to happen, but some of them were just giving us images that help us to kind of have a better understanding about what's going on but aren't necessarily exactly the way that things are going to play out. So context is super important whenever we read the Bible. So you might be wondering, well, how do I find out the answers to all those questions? Because that sounds like a lot of information and I don't have a sweet clue. Well, the good news is if you have a study Bible or lots of Bibles these days, actually have an intro at the beginning of the book that explains who wrote it, what the purpose was and who it was being written to, and often have a bit of an outline there as well. So getting one of those can be a really, really helpful resource. There's a couple of really great resources that I use on a regular basis on the internet. So uh, BibleGateway.com and BibleHub.com have some great resources that help to unpack these questions as well and give introductions to each of the different books of the Bible. Um, obviously, if you're searching for things on the internet, you need to be careful because there's all sorts of opinions some of which are not valid in any way whatsoever. So if you are looking on the internet for these resources, make sure that you're using trusted, reputable sources. And then one of the other sources that we have is each other, being able to just ask other people, hey, can you help me understand a little bit about where this is coming from or a little bit about who wrote this book or a bit more about the context of what was going on? And if that person doesn't know, that's okay. You can then go on a journey together of discovering what that looks like. So context, super, super important. So if we're then going to start, where should we start? If you've never read the Bible before, where is a good place for you to get into this book? 
Obviously, starting at Genesis would seem like a really good idea. That's the first book of the Bible. But the challenge is that the first couple of chapters of Genesis are really great. They help us to understand about why God created us and his purpose in bringing us into existence. But as you get into Genesis, things start to get pretty complicated fairly quickly. And there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff that ends up happening. It's like, what is going on here? And even if you can manage to push through that, very quickly you're going to get to the book of Leviticus. And I think this is probably what happens with a lot of people. They start reading the Bible, then they're like, what is this and what is going on here? Because Leviticus is just this book of all of these Jewish laws, some of which are quite strange, let's be honest. So if you just start from page one and keep reading, it's kind of a bit of a challenge. So my recommendation instead is, as we talk about, to start with Jesus. We always want to start with Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke or John are the four books that are biographies that talk about who Jesus is, help us to understand his teaching and what he came to do. If you're not sure which of those four to pick, I generally recommend Mark, partly because it's the shortest, so that's the easiest one to get into, um, but it's also helpful to be able to just get established with. A couple of other books that are really helpful too are Colossians and Ephesians. And so these are letters that Paul wrote to a couple of churches, to the church in Colossae is Colossians, and to the church in Ephesus is Ephesians. But both of these books are really helpful in just outlining what Jesus came to do and what it means for us to be able to discover how that applies to our lives. They're really encouraging books that talk about how those churches are doing a great job of following Jesus, and so they can be a helpful place to start as well. So if you're looking for somewhere to start, that would be my encouragement. How much then should we read? When you open up a book, so you pick Mark, let's say, how far do I read? Do I read a whole chapter? Do I read the whole book at once? How far should I go into this? My recommendation is simply this, read until you know you've got enough to process. Now generally for me, we've got these little headings that break up the chapters, and generally one of those sections is more than enough for me. Every now and again, because it's either something that's familiar or because of what's going on there, I might read more than that. But sometimes I'll start reading and read two or three verses and say, that is more than enough for me to process and think about right now, and so I'm going to stop there. So just start reading, and when you get to a point when you realise, okay, there's some stuff for me to process, pause there, and then work through these questions that we're going to look at, which again are on the back of your teaching notes. And I'll say too, we've mentioned that we're aligning what we're doing in our service uh, for the next couple of weeks with what is happening out in God's gang, with what the kids are talking about as well. And so today they're talking about how to read the Bible too, and they're talking about these exact same questions that are really, really helpful questions for us to process as we read the Bible. So my recommendation would be pick a book, start reading, and then once you've read enough, pause and have a look at these four questions. What's interesting? What's confusing? What can I learn? And what can I take away? And these are the same questions that we use in our small groups each week. So we have a small group on Monday nights and we have one on Tuesday afternoons. And what we do in those groups is take some time to work through these questions based on the scriptures that we're reading in our services together, to have the opportunity to unpack this stuff together. But this is also helpful just in your own processing and your own reading of scripture. So what's interesting, as you read it, what words or phrases jump off the page at you? Is there something that makes you stop and think? Is there something that's really encouraging where you're like, wow, I'd never thought about that before? What's confusing? 
What questions does it raise for you? Are there things where you would say, actually, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Well, that's kind of a little bit disturbing. I'm not sure how I feel about that. So having a look at what confusing or disturbing questions come up and then being able to say, who can I talk to about that? How can I process through those questions? Not get lost in them, but use them as an opportunity to discover some more. What can I learn? What can I learn about God? What can I learn about Jesus? What can I learn about people? What can I learn about myself? What values can I discover through what I'm reading? And then lastly, and most importantly, what can I take away? What's the one thing, based on what I've read, that I can take away from this and that I can apply in my life today or this week? Just one thing. You don't need to take all of it away, but just what's one thing that I want to put into practice, that I want to think more about, that I want to talk to someone about? What's the one thing? Then I would encourage you to go back and reread the passage again, because having done that work, often we'll discover there's a whole bunch of extra stuff that we missed the first time through. And so being able to finish off by rereading it, looking what it says, and then being able to take that away into the rest of our day. One final tip before we wrap up this morning is you don't have to just do this on your own. And this is another great reminder about the way in which scripture has been used throughout the ages. So as I said, it's only been the last few hundred years that we've had access to Bibles for ourselves. And that's a really, really good thing because it's meant that, like we said, we don't have to just trust in hierarchy. We can read what Jesus had to say. We can read and think about what it looks like to apply stuff in our own lives in the here and now. However, throughout history, what's actually been going on is that people would gather together, listen to scripture together, and then apply that stuff together. They would talk about it. They would wrestle through these questions together be able to say right there while they're gathered, what's interesting? What's confusing? What don't I understand? What does this raise? What can I learn and what can I take away? These are the things that people have processed together. And so for us, this is why it is so important for us to recognise that this is good for us to gather together as a big group, but listening to one person talk is not the most helpful way for us to really work through scripture. It's far more helpful when we get to turn our chairs in be able to face each other, be able to talk about what we're processing and then be able to think about what it looks like to put that all into practice. So as we wrap up today, usual question that we've talked about through this series, which is this. This week, I will aim to dot, dot, dot. So on your teaching notes, you have a line there and I genuinely, seriously want to encourage you to write something down on your piece of paper heading into this week. What's the one thing that you want to do around scripture reading as we head into this week? What's your next step as you think about reading the Bible? So for some of us who've never read scripture before, our starting point might be to say, this week I will aim to get a Bible. It's probably a good starting point. And if you don't have access to a Bible, then come and see me and we'll make sure that we get you one. This week I will aim to read whatever book of the Bible that it is. So you might want to start with Mark or Colossians or Ephesians, like I said, and be able to just start somewhere and start reading it. If you have been reading scripture in the past, but it's something that you haven't done for a while, then your this week I will aim to could be to set a goal for how many times you want to read scripture this week. And I would simply say be realistic about that. Going back again to the analogy of exercising, if you had not done any exercise for a while and you said, this week my goal is to exercise for an hour every single day, 
you're probably not going to succeed. And even if you do, you're probably going to hurt yourself. So it's better to just pace yourself and think about what's a reasonable expectation that I can have. And so it might be to say, this week I'm going to read my Bible for five or ten minutes every day. Or it might be that you know that on Saturday mornings you have a sleep in, and so there's no chance that you're going to read it on Saturday. So this week, from Monday to Friday, I'm going to read my Bible for five or ten minutes. Whatever it might be, set a healthy goal around that. And you might want to think about what that looks like, so what book are you going to read, um, but set a goal that's clear and achievable. If you're in a pretty good zone with your reading, so you've been reading scripture and you're in a pretty good place with that, then my encouragement would be to say, is your aim about focusing more on application? Because if we have been reading scripture a lot for most of our lives, we can get to this point where it's like, yep, I've read that before, yep, I've read that before, and we we can forget to stop and say, what does it look like for me to put this into practice this week? So this week I will aim to focus on application. Or it could be that you want to be there for someone else and be able to say, this week I will aim to find someone else who hasn't read their Bible very much and come alongside them and help them to get started, be able to invest in someone else. And for all of us, our goal could be about finding someone else to talk about what we're reading with. As I said, we're not supposed to do this just on our own. So for those of us who have kids, particularly those of you who are parents who had kids out in God's gang, they've been talked to about this stuff. So this week, your goal might be around the dinner table each night, we're going to take some time to talk about scripture together, to look at a passage of scripture and to be able to work through these questions. If you're a couple, it might be an opportunity to be able to say, this week, we're going to take some time to just talk about what we're reading and what we're applying together. If you're on your own, then you might like to call someone else up and say, hey, this week, can we take some time to just talk about what it is that we've been learning and what we've been reading and how we're applying that and support each other together. And a really big challenge for some of us might be to say, this week, I'm going to find someone else to talk to about what I'm learning as I read scripture. And it could be someone from work, it could be a neighbour, it could be a friend, someone who I know is searching spiritually but I'm going to take the time this week to talk about what I'm learning and what I'm discovering and maybe open up a conversation about what it looks like to read the Bible. So hopefully one of those things, that's a fair few options for you, jumps out at you as a challenge that you would like to embrace. So I'm going to just give us a moment to be able to say, what's my one thing as I head into this week that I'll aim to do? And then I'll pray and wrap us up. God, we thank you for this amazing resource that you've given us that we call scripture, that we call the Bible. We thank you for all of the different components of it, all of these different types of literature, all of these different types of books. And we thank you that together they all come and bring us this amazing story that helps us to discover who you are as we discover who Jesus is and what it looks like for him to show us what you're like in all of your glory and how amazing all that is, what you've done for us. And so we pray that as we head into this week, that we would embrace the challenge of what it looks like to get into Scripture, to embrace the challenge of what it looks like to stare deeply, to contemplate, to stoop down, and to have a look at this perfect law, this completed law that sets us free, 
to recognise that our goal in reading scripture is not to be beaten about the head, is not to be pushed and shoved and made to feel guilty, but it's to find you and it's to find ourselves, to find purpose, to find meaning in our lives. And then out of that, to be able to live as a part of your family, the way that you created us to be. And so I pray that for each of us, regardless of where we're at in our spiritual journey, that this week would be a week where we discover or rediscover this amazing book and what it can do as we try to live lives where we follow you and reflect you to a world that so desperately needs you. In your name we pray. Amen.